Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. is airing on Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. Today I have an interview with author Sarah Edlaka. We talk about her second novel, which is Midnight on the Marne. We also talk a little bit about the ways in which she likes to play with time and history when writing. And I have a list of epic releases for you today. So, Let's get started. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Sarah Edlaka, and we are talking about her upcoming novel, Midnight on the Marne, which is coming out on August 9th here in the U.S. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Shannon. I appreciate you um, having me here. Can we start with a brief introduction to this novel in case listeners have not had a chance to either, you know, hear buzz about it or um, haven't had the chance to read the blurb? Yeah, of course. So Midnight on the Marne um, is a alternate history um, historical fiction novel, and it's from two points of view, it's from it's set during World War One in France, so 1918. And Marcel Marchand is a French nurse working on the front lines, and she's also working with British intelligence as a spy. And the other point of view is George Mountcastle, and he's an American soldier in the American Expeditionary Forces fighting with the French. Um, and the alternate timeline comes when the um, Germans cross the Marne River and actually win the Second Battle of the Marne, which they didn't win during the real First World War. Um, ah. And yeah, so so they win this battle and they actually win, ultimately win the war. And so the story is about George and Marcel and they're on the run and they're trying to hide that George is an American, you know, an American um, and kind of going through their lives in hiding, trying to get back across um, to the to the French controlled um, areas of France and kind of how the how the world changes um, in this scenario until George is 
given the chance to sort of rewrite history and and change their fate, but at a very high cost. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, in a little this... bit of a yeah, speculative fiction as well as alternate timeline. Yes, that's what I was just going to say. In this book, as well as in your previous book, you kind of play with with time and the ways in which like, a different choice or a different set of circumstances can affect the lives of your characters. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I like, you know, I like that when I'm when I'm reading books, I like kind of putting myself in that situation of what would I do and how would my actions change something? And so, um, yeah, both of, both of my novels have, have that kind of twist to them. George, um, the main, one of the main characters in Midnight on Mars was, uh, a small character in the first book. He, um, was in there as a 94 year old man, just one chapter, um, who kind of met my main character and kind of had been through something similar that she was going through. So. So he was born from my first book, although you certainly don't have to have read the first book to to um, understand the second. But uh, yeah, he was he was a main character or not, you know, a side character in my first book. So what kind of sparked your interest in this kind of like looking at time and the way in which it does or doesn't you know, change depending upon things that we may or may not do? Yeah, I've always kind of been that self-reflective kind of person. Um, I'm a psychiatrist by training. And, um, yeah, I'm not practicing right now, but, um, you know, when I was, some of the, some of the things I used to think about, you know, with some of my patients was, um, like, you know, especially with patients who had psychosis or would say things that, you know, on the outside, we would look at and say, well, obviously, that's not true. And, you know, you have a psychiatric disorder, there's something going on with your brain, and you need this medicine to to make those thoughts go away. And I started thinking, you know, like, what if it's real? You know, what if I mean, you know, we're taught and we know the, the biology of the brain and the structure and what's going on and what neuro, you know, transmitters are, are deficient or you know, we, we can see that through science, but at the same time, I started thinking, gosh, what if, you know, what if somebody really had been through what they're telling me and, you know, nobody believed them because we just considered right. them iconic. And so I started kind of playing with that a little bit and thinking about myself, like, what if I, you know, what if this happened to me and how would I convince anybody? And, and then, you know, kind of carrying that into, well, what would I do? And how would the choices that I made or decided to make, you know, maybe like a second time around, how, how would that change my life or anybody else's life? And kind of that butterfly effect. So when I made this, you know, simple little choice back in whatever, you know, 1992, what if I had done something a little bit differently? And how many people would that have affected? And, you know, kind of the the enormity of that of that thought or, you know, those, those little tiny things that you do, little decisions you make every day and like, you know, how that, how does that ripple effect cause changes, you know, throughout the world? Right. Cause everything is connected, even if we don't, you know, realize it on kind right. of that grand scale. So right. depending on what kind of things we're talking about, like you could theoretically anyway, see all of these changes like if you were able to somehow trace that and really 
like pay right. attention to the effect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would, and it's, and then it becomes very overwhelming. I mean, the more you think about it, it's like, you know, these little tiny decisions you make, you know, when am I going to go leave to go to the grocery store? Or, you know what I mean? Like every tiny right. little decision can, you know, have an impact on, and then kind of the enormity of that and kind of the stress of that if you really start thinking about it too much. So I think, you know, with, with my books, even though, you know, a lot of people think, oh, like time travel, that's really fun. Um, but I think I try to put more of a, a realistic spin on it in the sense of, yeah, it would be kind of neat to go back and to be able to redo something or to see something that you missed or, you know, see somebody that maybe has passed away. But the reality of it, I think, would be pretty terrifying because it really puts a lot of pressure on you to, like, what can yeah. I change? What can't I change? What should I do? You know, the things you don't want to change, the things you do want to change, and how does how will those things affect other people? There is a book, uh, I think it comes out next week, which is kind of a, a similar thing, except I think it's more of like a magic uh, thing that makes it happen. But it's The Magic of Lemon Drop Pie okay. by Rachel Linden. Okay, um, I have to check that out. Yeah, and I, I'm almost positive it's coming out on August 2nd. Um, but okay. it, it just kind of sparked my interest when you were, you know, talking about like, kind of reliving certain things. And I was like, right. oh, I wonder if it's going to be like the, like the lemon drop book kind of. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that one out. That yeah. Good. Book recommendations, you know, are, are always a, yeah. a good thing. Oh yeah. Definitely. So how does that. one kind of transition from doing psychiatry to writing speculative fiction? Yeah. So I was, um, we had just moved from, um, Ohio. My husband got a job down in Mississippi. And so I hadn't, I hadn't gotten a job yet. And we're, our kids were really little. And he was like, why don't you just take, you know, a little bit of time off before you find a job? And, um, but the kids were in school and I, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? This, you know, <laughs> the kids had just started school and I, I didn't really have anything to do at home. And so I said, I think I'm just going to go back to work. And he's like, no, just take a little bit of time. And I wasn't, um, a writer. I mean, I, I had not even really read much, you know, just fiction or for pleasure since being in medical school and um, residency and working and everything. So I, you know, I kept having those thoughts, like I was telling you about my patients and like, gosh, I kept having those thoughts over and over again about what if I woke up and I was like, you know, a teenager and, and I had to convince people that I had you know, who I, I was, who I said I was and what I want to do everything the same way I did it before. And, you know, how would I, well, I still would want my family. So how would I do that? So I just kept having these thoughts. And I thought, <laughs> I'm just going to write this down, like kind of a journal entry type thing. And, um, and so I started writing it and then I decided I'm just going to turn it into a story. And so I wrote it with, you know, I wasn't really going to let anybody read it, but I let my husband read it when I was done. And so he was my big champion, you know, oh my gosh, we need to get this published. And, so that's when I started kind of looking into publishing and how you do that. This was, of course, many, many years ago. It took a long time. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of started going down that road of, all right, well, maybe I should, could get it published. And so, you know, I went down that very long road of getting an agent and doing revisions and submitting and, um, you know, ed eventually editing with a publisher and, um, 
And so that first book, it probably took me about seven or eight years from the time I wrote it to the time that it was published. And, okay. and then my second book, yeah, it was a two book. I got a two book deal with Forged Books. And so my second book was, I think, a year, you know, from the time I started writing it until um, it was ready to go. Um, well, it was probably about a year and a half um, for the second book. So, you know, it's so much different when you when you start writing when I mean, you're on your own as compared to when you actually have an editor or have somebody who's kind of guiding you and setting, um, you know, setting deadlines. So, so I never actually went back to psychiatry. I, I keep telling myself I'm going to eventually, but for now I'm sticking to the writing. Well, that, that works. Yeah. We, we need writers. I mean, we need psychiatrists too, obviously, I, but. I feel guilty sometimes. <laughs> You know, especially people like, oh, man, we could use some psychiatrists in the area. I guess I need to get back to the real work. (laughs) (laughs) So did you have trouble kind of transitioning from like the first way of writing when you were on your own to kind of once your first book was going to be published and you were working on your second one? Like, how was it to actually have to structure it so that you were meeting deadlines and, you know, kind of working alongside like your team of of publishing people? Right. Yeah. You know, it was really good for me. I um, am just a very structured person. So I'm definitely more of a plot. I have more of a plotter kind of personality. Um, And so I think one of the reasons it took me so long the first time is because I didn't have deadlines, you know, it was kind of just like, oh, am I going to do this? I don't know. You know, I'll write a little bit. and I would go, you know, weeks or months without writing anything. Um, and I mean, I think for most people, for me, certainly writing takes practice. Um, and so the more you do it, the easier it comes, the more natural it becomes to you. So I think for me, getting into more of a structured routine of just writing, I mean, the prose gets better as you continue to write. And then there was a, a a big learning curve for me, I should say. It was, you know, after I wrote my first draft, my agent really helped me with the editing of the of the subsequent drafts before we submitted it to publishers. And I I did my homework. I mean, I took a lot of time and I read a lot of books about writing, about character arcs and plot arcs, and I didn't know anything. You know, when I started, it was really just kind of just a mess of words with you know an idea behind it. And um, and so I spent the time doing a lot of that research and, and figuring out, you know, what needs to happen um, for a story to, you know, to make sense. I mean, I didn't really understand genres. I didn't, you know, I kind of read all over the place. I read a lot of different genres. And so, you know, that was a big issue for me when we first started. When we first were trying to pitch the book was it was it crossed a lot of genres. My first book. Yes. Um, and even my second book does as well. And so I just, I don't really like to be put into one genre. Um, but I understand the importance of that for marketing. I mean, I understand why a publisher, you know, why it's so important for them to have an author who kind of stays within, you know, a spectrum of, of one genre or another, because it's, it's hard to market a book, right? I mean, especially when you have an author who doesn't have a name. Um, nobody knows right. who you are. It, you can't just, you know, who am I going to market this to? You know, I mean, if you have a big name, you can kind of, you know, Stephen King can probably write whatever he wants, right? Because people are going to recognize his name and be like, oh, I'll give this a try. But, you know, when you don't have that recognition, it's hard for the 
publishers, the marketing team to figure out like, who are we going to push these books to? Um, yes. So that was another issue for me. It was very much kind of an all over the place story. Um, and so kind of narrowing that down, um, you know, that was a lot of the time that, that I spent with that first book. And so the second one was, it was just easier to kind of wrap my mind around it and be like, okay, this is what the book is. You know, this is what needs to happen. This is, you know, this is how the characters need to develop. This is how the plot needs to develop. And, um, you know, it just, but it, it, it was a lot of learning in those first, you know, years of my first book. So do you feel like now you have kind of found your genre niche or are you still kind of like working to figure out exactly like where you're like where you'd like your books to be? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of segueing more into um, historical fiction. Um, I'm not really a big sci fi reader um, and you know, I think that was kind of one of the things with my first book. And second, even though they're classified as science fiction, it's, they're not really, I mean, there's that science fiction or speculative element to them, but the stories themselves don't have a lot of the sci-fi feel. And so I really was interested in transitioning more to historical fiction. And um, that was something I talked to my agent about. And, you know, at first, I think she was a little bit nervous about like, you know, if you have some readers now and, um, you know, this is kind of your thing. This is your element. And um, and so my second book is historical fiction. And it's based in, um, you know, real history of World War One battles and, and generals and all that. Um, and so it definitely has more of a historical fiction than a speculative fiction story. And so my third book that I'm working on is straight historical fiction. So. I'm definitely ah. like transitioning into that realm. Yeah. Um, Do you think you'll miss the kind of like speculative elements as you're writing this third book? I don't know. That's a great question. Cause every once in a while it does kind of pop into my head like, Oh, well, what if, you know, <laughs> um, but I, you know, so a little bit because my mind kind of always goes there. But I really enjoy historical fiction more. And I, I really enjoy the research of historical fiction. And my, my second book that's coming out, you know, in a couple of weeks is, is, has much more of that historical fiction feel. Um, it's what I enjoy reading. So I found that doing the research for my second book, I must have probably mo- most, more of my time researching than well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I spent a great deal of time researching and sometimes it feels like I spent more time researching than writing. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Like I really enjoyed taking that element of this really happened in history. And, and I like taking little elements of things that maybe people don't really know a whole lot about. Um, sure. And yeah, kind of like the second battle of the Marne, which is what the second book is about is, um, you know, it was the last German offensive of World War One. And so, I really dove deep into like the battle plans and the strategies of that battle and and how I could kind of manipulate it a little bit to tell more of a personal story, even though, you know, my characters are not based on real people in history, but the actual battle and the actual, um, you know, strategies that were employed during that battle are a big part of the story. And so I really like that. I mean, it's, it feels to me, you know, even just writing fiction, it's, it's, it's made up, right? I mean, it's, 
it's not true. So in some sense, I feel like that is my kind of speculative element, right? I'm just, I'm making up a story that isn't even true, but I'm basing it on real history. So what is the setting of the next book that you're working on if you're um, in a position where you feel like you can talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's um, it's set during um, World War II in the Pacific. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So again, I, you know, I know World War II is a pretty um, hot, hot topic in, um, in uh, historical fiction circles, um, but I kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. And so I'm, it's being set in the Pacific um, right before the Japanese bomb um, Manila in the Philippines. Ooh. And um, yeah, again, it's about a nurse. Um, an American nurse at the time and uh, kind of her story of her story of what she's going through after the bombing and also kind of a little bit of her backstory and how she got there. Um, so a little bit of a mystery thrown into it, but um, yeah, without giving too much away since I haven't actually <laughs> finished it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the setting. Well, excellent. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. Um I read quite a bit of historical fiction and there have just been so many really excellent looks at the second world war. So mm-hmm. I'm eager to, um, you know, to see what, what you have done here when, uh, whenever this one appears in the world. Yeah. 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 I'm really excited about it. I was excited about doing world war one as well. So, you know, it was, that's kind of not a, covered obviously as as much as world war ii and and it's true um so that was really fun i mean that was something that my editor was a little worried about you know she was saying like you know it's hard people are just going to automatically think it's world war ii when you're writing about war in europe and so you know it was a lot of effort i took a lot of effort to make sure that it had an authentic world war one feel um so that you know the reader would kind of get caught up and forget that you know, we're talking about two entirely different time frames and two right. And, um, yeah, yeah, there so really aren't as many World War One yeah. books. Like, it's hard to think of, you know, more than yeah. a few. Um, right, and most of them were written by men uh, many years ago. Right, I mean, so like All Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, it. Ah, yes. You know, they're they're more of war. It's less kind of like women type fiction. Um, even though this is told from, you know, a male and a female point of view. So it has kind of both feels, I think. Right. Um, you get the battle part and you also get the female part. But it's more of, you know, a fiction like that has the love story involved in there. You know what I mean? It's it's more of kind of the the historical fiction that you read from women authors from World War yes. II. Um, but, you know, set during World War One. So I'm hoping it has more of that flavor of the World War One setting. So shifting gears here just a little bit, what have you read recently that you think the world should know about? The world should know about. Let's see. I have, gosh, my mind, my memory just like stops with, <laughs> just within a week, it's hard for me to go back. Um, I don't know. Let's see. I just finished Leanne Moriarty's. Apples never fall. Oh, I love that. Um, 
Yeah, it was so good. I listened to it on audiobook, which is kind of a new thing for me. I've just started listening to audiobooks. And audiobooks. The narrator. Oh my gosh, they're so good. And the narrator who does her book, Apples Never Fall, was so good. You know, she has this Australian accent and I could just listen to her talk. So I like I finished I it. I'm like, Caroline I don't want to listen to her again. Lee. I think it's Caroline Lee who narrated that. Um, and she is very, very good. Oh my gosh, I just loved it. I just loved it. Um, and I just started Emma's Drop this time tomorrow. So another Oh, I'm looking yeah. forward to that one. I have not read it yet. Yeah, I just got it from the library. I, I haven't been to the library since before the pandemic. And so I just went in last week and I was like, gosh, I forgot how much I love the library. <laughs> so... So I picked that one up, and I know it has a little bit of that kind of, I don't know, call it time travel or what, but I just started it, so. Um, I don't it's know. interesting, because yeah. during the pandemic is when I kind of came back to the library, like, oh, I really? really, yes, like, I really took advantage of all of their, like, digital, um, you know, digital audio, yeah. things like that, you know, um, I couldn't and get so now, you couldn't. No, but anyway. Oh, yeah. that's that's very sad. Because yeah, like the the Libby app is um is amazing. Like there's just yeah, so many I books out there. That. I've never, you know, yeah, that was kind of my. I haven't I haven't actually gotten into the Libby app yet, so I need to start uh, doing that. Yes, yes, I now have eight library cards. Um, oh. That I, I started acquiring like during the time of the pandemic. <laughs> well, how do you do that? I mean, can you get library cards from different like because you have to? You can. You can. So like a lot of times with digital stuff, when you sign up with your like public library, you know, wherever you are, like I'm in um in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So mm-hmm. when I signed up with Ann Arbor District Library, they have like reciprocal borrowing privileges with other libraries so you can not only browse like their collection but you can click into all of these other um these other libraries that sort of allow them to you know allow their patrons to use the um these other collections um, oh, and then there are also several cities around the country that offer out of state resident cards. Okay. Like they're called, what are they called? Like non-resident, like e-cards or something. Okay. Um, and so it, it gives you access to, you know, libraries just from like all over the country, depending on which, you know, which libraries, um, permit it, but, it's a very, very cool program and I think helps a lot of people who maybe live in, you know, a small, like rural area. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe they're, <laughs> ah, are you in a, a rural place? Uh, yeah, well, I live in a very small town. So, okay. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to look into that. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of really good, good stuff out there to sort of help um, connect people with with okay. libraries awesome. yes. libraries are wonderful 
And with like the, you know, digital like downloads and stuff, it's a lot easier because you're not like if you borrow a book from a collection, you know, in another state, it's not like you have to worry about like mailing it back right. or, you know, right. making sure that it's not getting damaged somehow, you know, in its, in its transit. Um, right. So yes, like digital libraries are one of the very best things. Awesome. I'm going to check it out. Yes. I, I hope you, you find something that works well for you and gives you lots of great digital mm-hmm. content. Well, I want to thank you so, so much for chatting with me today and letting listeners know a little bit about who you are and the kind of things you write. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shannon. I really appreciate you having me. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Yeah, probably my website, which is sarahatlaka.com. I'm on, you know, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Everything is, my handle is at Sarah Atlaka. So um, I think I'm the only person who has that name. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty easy to find. And I have to ask, do you caption your Instagram photos? Um, I do. Excellent. Like in like an alt text way, like for people who, who don't see photos or who oh, need like image descriptions. Ah. I sometimes do. Yes. I, I have, I try to, sometimes I forget, but I do try. To. Yes. It, it is a, it is a very helpful uh, thing in, in the digital space. I find. Absolutely. Again, this has been a discussion with author Sarah Edlaka about her upcoming novel, Midnight on the Marne, and it will be releasing here in the U.S. on August 9th. All right. So let's talk about new books. Now, there are a bunch of things out today, and the first handful are going to be things that you've heard us talk about on our most anticipated releases of September episode. And then, of course, we'll get into some things that we haven't talked about before. So, Georgina mentioned Desperation in Death, which is In Death, number 55, by J.D. Robb. Um, Christine is a fan of this series, as are Brooke and Natalia. And speaking of Christine, all of her books that she mentioned on the episode are coming out today. So we have a couple of historical fiction, The Ways We Hide by Christina McMorris and Back to the Garden by Laurie R. King. She was also looking forward to the new Tiffany D. Jackson, which is called The Weight of Blood. Then... Let's talk about some romance. Stacy is very excited for the new Sally Thorne, which is a historical. This is Angelica Frankenstein makes her match. She is also looking forward to the American Roommate Experiment, Spanish Love Deception, book two by Elena Armas. And Sarah is excited for the new Denise Williams. This is Do You Take This Man? And she also is looking forward to Lizzie Blake's Best Mistake, A Brush With Love, book two by Maisie Eddings. 
So those are some books that you've heard us talk about before. So now let's get into some things that we haven't previously mentioned. All right. So I'm going to start with a couple of romances. We have The Decoy Girlfriend by Lily Vale. This is about a woman who takes the place of her celebrity doppelganger and as a result has to date this person's boyfriend. This is The Decoy Girlfriend by Lily Vale. We also have The Boy with the Bookstore by Sarah Etchover-Smith. Um, Sarah was on the podcast in 2021 talking about a book that she wrote under the name Sarah Smith. Um, but this is kind of a romantic element, maybe women's fiction-y kind of thing. Um, but I really enjoyed talking with Sarah. I loved getting to know her and her writing process. If you're looking for either, you know, a cool romantic comedy, you should check her out or something more serious with her women's fiction. But this one is The Boy with the Bookstore by Sarah Echover Smith. I also want to talk about The Most Likely Club by Alisa Friedland. This is more kind of women's fiction. It's about a group of high school friends who meet at their reunion after a number of years apart, and they come up with a list that's going to help them achieve some of the things that they didn't achieve in high school. This is The Most Likely Club, and it's by Alyssa Friedland. And how about some historicals? So we have The Two Lives of Sarah, this is by Kathleen, Catherine Adele West. She wrote Saving Ruby King a couple of years ago. This one takes place in Memphis in the 1960s. It's about a woman who ends up living in a boarding house where she learns what it really means to have a family, even if that family is not like related to you by blood. And she also means she also learns the toll that hidden truths can take. This is The Two Lives of Sarah, and it's by Catherine Adele West. Karen Robards has released The Girl from Guernica this week. This is her second historical fiction. Um, she wrote a book a couple of years ago that took place during World War II. Um, this one starts, I think, just before World War II and carries us through the end of the war. This was um, inspired by a Picasso painting. So if you're interested in art and you also love historical fiction, you might want to check this out. It is The Girl from Guernica by Karen Robards. We also have a new Maggie O'Farrell novel. This is The Marriage Portrait. Maggie O'Farrell has been writing for quite a while. I think she really took people by storm with Hamnet a couple of years ago. And now she's back with a novel that takes us to the 1560s in Florence. And it's another book that kind of explores art, um, but in, you know, a, a different setting. This is The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. All right, should we do some fantasy? I say, why not? Um, I have to first mention, of course, that there's a new Stephen King book out today. It's Fairy Tale. 
And this looks like it might have some fantastical elements, um, maybe a bit of horror since it's Stephen King. I know that Amber and Stacy are both looking forward to reading this, so I will be eager to see what they think about it when they do. Um, Amber might actually have it by the time you are listening to this. This is Fairy Tale by Stephen King. If you love Faith Hunter, you will be happy to know that Final Air, Jane Yellow Rock, number 15, is out this week. I really enjoy this series. I am not caught up, but Jane is a character that I do you know, come back and visit periodically because I find this world that Hunter has created to be really, really fascinating. She also has a spin-off series in this world um, that's called Soulwood. But this one is Final Air, Jane Yellow Rock, book 15, by Faith Hunter. Then we have a new Aidan Thomas book out this week. We have The Sunbearer Trials. This is Sunbearer, book one. Again, it's by Aidan Thomas. It is set in a culture where people are chosen. Some are chosen to carry the light of the sun to the various temples that need it. But one person is chosen to be sacrificed to the sun god. This is The Sunbearer Trials, Sunbearer, book one by Aidan Thomas. We also have a new A.G. Howard book. I think of A.G. Howard mostly as the person who wrote Splintered, which is a um, kind of a retelling of Alice in Wonderland. But she's written many other things as well. And she has a new book out. This is Shades of Rust and Ruin. It is the first book in a series of the same title. And it is about a girl whose family has somehow been cursed by Halloween. I'm not sure how Halloween curses you, but if you want to know, you'll have to read this. It is Shades of Rust and Ruin by A.G. Howard. The last two fantasy books I mentioned are considered YA fantasy, and so now I'm going to transition from YA fantasy to contemporary YA for just a moment so that I can tell you about The First Thing About You by Chaz Hayden. This is a YA novel about a 15-year-old boy who has spinal muscular atrophy. He has arrived at a new school, and he has decided that he is going to reinvent himself. We are always looking at Book Bistro for books with positive disability rep. And I am always so thrilled to see that more and more of these are coming out, especially in the middle grade and YA spaces. So even if you don't necessarily love YA, I do urge you to pick this up for just you know a look at the life of someone that you might not necessarily know about. This is The First Thing About You by Chaz Hayden. All right, so let's transition now to some mysteries. We have All Dressed Up by Jilly Gagnon. This is set in a remote hotel where a woman has gone missing. It also says there's a murder mystery. Now, I don't know if that means because the woman has gone missing, like we're investigating her murder or is it that like there's a, one of those murder mystery like weekends at this hotel that somehow goes wrong? I'm not sure, but I definitely want to find out. It's all dressed up and it's by Jilly Gagnon. 
Deanna Rayborn has a new book coming out. This is Killers of a Certain Age. If you're familiar with Rayborn's writing, you will associate her with historical mysteries. She has now written a contemporary, and it is about a group of women who become assassins. And if I am, if I'm not mistaken, these women are either in their 50s or 60s. This was a really awesome pitch that she gave this book um, when she was on the podcast a couple of years ago, and I've been looking forward to it ever since. So this one is Killers of a Certain Age, and it's by Deanna Rayborn. And lastly, I want to talk about the new Minka Kent. This is called The Silent Woman, and it's about a woman who has found the love of her life. She is ready to get married and live happily ever after. But when she arrives at her new husband's home, she learns that his first wife is lying in the guest house. Now, I don't know if that means she's lying dead in the guest house or she's alive, being kept prisoner in there. I'm not sure. But Minka Kent has written a ton of really stellar like psychological thrillers, and I am always kind of on the lookout for new things of hers. So if you've never read her, I highly recommend it. And this one is The Silent Woman. Again, it's by Minka Kent. And that is all I have for you today. This was a very big release week, and so there was no way I could have told you about all the books out today. But I hope that you are finding lots of great things to read. If you're in the U.S., I hope you had a nice Labor Day and kind of waved goodbye to summer. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.